heavy track today. Yeah, not vibing risky lettuce, getting sinker vibes. I don't know, says on the Tab app she's firming. Don't just vibe it, get expert tips in Tab's new race feed. Tab, we're on. What are you really gambling with? The news and stories from racing's heartland. This is RSN's Racing Pulse. 24 minutes after nine, we're at Silks at Cranbourne. There's a big brekkie going on down here and you'll get a free one if you rock up, so make sure you do if you're in the area. Uh, the duo of Mick Kent and Wiramu Pin, who combined in race five at Sandown today on the Lakeside Track, have joined me uh, with Northern Barrage. Uh, that's the first thing I'm going to ask him. How are you, Mick? I'm well, thanks, Matty. How are you? Billy Pin, how are you, mate? Yeah, good, thanks, Matty. All right, are we going to get the chocolates with Northern Barrage today? Uh, you, don't hopeful. Like, you don't like these interviews, Mick. Hopeful. I'm going to ask you, Billy, instead, because Mick... I'm going to explain why Mick doesn't like this. There's a, there was a horse called Cole, was it, Mick? Yeah, it's a long story. Long story. Billy, you, you do the talking then. What about Northern Barrage today? Yeah, he's... Um, I think he's going pretty well. Um, we're drawing a good gate. Just probably the big weight's a bit of a worry, but, um, yeah, first up over a mile, we'll see how fit the boss has got him. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, he should get a good ride from there and have every chance, so uh, we'll see how he goes. All right. So, Mick, I, I'm very respectful of your um, superstitions, so I'm not going to ask you about Northern Barrage, but I'm going to ask you why you're so superstitious. Oh, just... Uh, a series just, of misadventures? Yes, and you've probably forgotten this, but uh, we spoke about this uh, last time I was talking on the radio to you, I think, and... I had a horse called Trotto with a five-horse race at sale and just looked at absolute moral. And you actually asked me about it, and I said, well, yeah, well, it looks a nice race for him, of course. He got scratched at the barrier. So you do have a kiss of death. So uh, And there was Cole, and there was another one at Ballarat who did a lap of the track yeah, after you. horse you, called Vazoom. Yes, saddle, had slip, a saddle yeah. slip in the Grand yeah. National. All right, we're done with that. Your reaction to the VRC pitch to steal this date off the Cranbourne Turf Club? It's just, uh, they're not reading the room, are they? I don't think... Uh, you know, this, as Neil said earlier, this meeting makes probably more money for our, our punts its own weight, I think, uh, the Grandma Cup on the Saturday. Did last year, will this year. And I just don't think what the VRC or, or even RVL think they're going to do with the autumn. My autumn horses are in work now. They're ready to race in February and March. So to keep the spring going, they're just playing into Sydney's hands. All those nice three-year-olds are going to have to spell. They've got to have some downtime. They're all going to go to Sydney. So we, our autumn, they're just eating into our autumn terribly. And I just don't think they realise that. So it um, seems an awful time to do it. On the Eva Cranbourne and the Kilmore Cups, they want to pinch that date. But it surprised me. This very much feels like a growing metro area to me. And I, I, I know that there's a certain brand about racing at Flemington and wagering goes up and so at Caulfield as well and, and so on. And that's why the MRC has got this thing about Caulfield over Sandown, which is where we race today. But... Uh, You've grown up in this area. You've seen it grow from a country town into this metropolis of housing estates and a massive booming demographic population of 18 to 35s and young parents and families and so on. I don't imagine you see this as a country area. No, it's not anymore. Um, it's, you know, in, in New South Wales, it's considered a high-level high provincial track, uh, but it, it is closer to metropolitan than most country tracks. It's got the population. And you hit on a good point there. I mean, something that irks me, they moved the Packenham Cup, lost their stand alone this year, and that used to be a great cup, I thought, at that time of year. And uh, it was just starting to get a foothold, wasn't it? Oh, I think what RVL don't realise is that all, all the Christmas parties that were there from local businesses, they were all first-time race cups. There's a whole new suburbs out there. There's people who'd never been touched by racing, young people. 
So all the Christmas parties there from local business will bring a whole new audience. And, and I mean, they just don't, they mustn't rate that. Because that cup, to, to lose that to a Thursday night, yes. which is impossible for anybody to go and have a good time. Uh, I thought that was a really bad move. But um, so, yeah, so the, the, what you're saying about the area. Um, if you put a pin in the map now, we're nearly in the middle of Melbourne, mm. you know, with the population around us. Speaking of putting a pin in the map, Billy Pin has put himself on the map. Uh, did you like that? Um, you came over here with a dodgy claim a while back. <laughs> um, but how do you... I mean, you, um, you, it, the, the contrast between New Zealand and, 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 and Melbourne and Cranbourne is... Uh, you've, you've spoken about the quality of the tracks and the, and the difference in probably the depth of the riding ranks and so on. Uh, does this feel like a country town to you, Cranbourne, or, 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 or the big time? No, not at all. Um, I grew up in a little place called Manurua. It's not the nicest joints of all. So, um, yeah, Cranbourne's pretty flash compared to where I'm from. But, yeah, like you said, the tracks here are amazing. Um, you know, I, I think the facilities that they have here at Cranbourne are, are absolutely world-class. And, um, yeah, th there's a lot of fantastic trainers and uh, a lot of horses here, so... Um, yeah, and with the riding as well, like just a big change, probably coming over from New Zealand, just riding with these world-class riders has really helped me develop with my riding, and it's um, it's gonna uh, it's gonna um, benefit me in the long run. Mick, have you noticed that you've been a, a great master of apprentices over the years? You've you've had a lot of them through, and you've seen their their evolution. You knew how good Billy Pin was when he came over. How have you seen his development since he's been here? Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, yeah, good. So, you know, I've got my own theories on it. And um, coming here, he's riding against better riders. And, you know, uh, I think he's grown from that. But one of the things that really hit us, Billy went back to New Zealand over Cup Week. He had one ride on the Flemington Sad Day and was invited back for the Guineas over there in the New Zealand Cup. So he went home and watching him on TV, he just stood out to me in the field, the way he looked and his style how much better it was. He looked different in a whole different class to what he was before he came over. So you can see, you'd really see that contrast when he went back to New Zealand. Yeah, what's, what are the little one percenters that you've improved on, Billy? Oh, well, hang on, I'll get it from the master first <laughs> and then see if you agree. What do you think, Mick? Oh, I just think you've got to keep it more smooth, you know, mm -hmm. keep it more smooth, not so much whip. You know, Billy's very strong and he was hitting them really hard and they'd duck in on him and just, you know, a bit more than... Stop journey. hitting our horses so hard. <laughs> you know, yeah, just, just you know... He was he was dominant with his strength over New Zealand, but he's riding a bit better class horse here, and just to keep it a bit smoother, a bit more relaxed, and, uh, and not cut him off so much. He just been suspended three times pretty quickly recently, which is why you haven't seen him. But uh, bit of a Zach Lloyd. He's about to break out now. <laughs> not that good, mate. The <laughs> so, what do you think, um, Zach, Billy? Uh, has it been just a smoothening out of your your skills? Yeah, it's um, you know been a whole bunch of different things with, um, you know, from tactical um, race riding tactics and just little things like working on my style and like um, the boss said, with my whip, not hitting them as hard. I, how that come about one day, I was rode for a trainer called Stephen Marsh over in New Zealand and he just said, what are you doing? Hit the bloody thing, you look like a girl. And then <laughs> it just went from there. I just started hitting them as hard as I could. But... Um, yeah, I think balance is key and, and, and keeping it smooth and just being in a good rhythm and staying balanced is a lot better for the horses than actually using strength and trying to dominate them, you know, like you, if they want to run, that they're going to run, so yeah. it's up to them. I just want to talk about whip reform. I was really, and the late, great Patrick Smith was, his analogy was one that sort of really stayed with me for a long time. He said, well, 
you can whip a horse in a stadium, a racing stadium, and no one blinks, uh, and then you walk out, and if you whip a dog, you, you get set upon. So that was the idea from the outside world about perception of, of whipping from people who aren't accustomed to it with horses. But when I looked at a lot of the, fo- the finishes over Cup Week and I saw the cars, the Zaras, and all these riders, they barely whip them anymore. Mm. I think I think they've almost self-regulated, Mick. Do you do you feel we need to go further with, with rip reform, or do you think that the jockeys themselves have, have reformed it? Yeah, the jockeys have reformed it. Um, I don't think the rule's good at all. I mean, you should just have a certain amount of strikes per race. I, that's what I would say, because as you know, in a two-mile race or something, you might need to be stronger at the half-mile yeah. than you do at the last furlong. And... Um, to just wait till you get to the last furlong and go open slather is just some of the stupidest rule I've ever seen. It doesn't do you, make any sense. Billy, do you really think that if you give, a, give one a couple of cuts within the last furlong that it's going to make it run faster? Oh, look, some, some horses respond differently. Um, I feel, you know, with the sprinters, you, you don't need much. Like, they're always there underneath you, and when you go for them, they go. But like Mick said, with these stayers, like, you know, s- some of them, you, you need to get going at the 800, and you've used up all your hits by the time you do get to the, to the furlong. So, um, yeah, all horses respond differently. But, yeah, like you said, I think there should just be you know, a certain amount of hits for a race and just keep it simple. Do you think jockeys should lose race? Well, where, where do you think we're at the, with the, the, the over-whipping, um, perhaps losing the race scenario, Mick? Do you think that's we're getting closer to, to that becoming more regular regulation? Oh, it has to be. You can't win races breaking rules. You can't kick a goal if someone touches it or you tackle them wrong. I mean, I just don't think how you can win races. The stewards think they can put a margin on it. They can't put a margin on it, so they don't go there, but... That's the only way if they want to stop it. But I think, first of all, I'd like to see the whip rule reformed so that they could use it when they like. The best example is Mark Zara of the Caulfield Cup. He was really strong without a fight from the 600 to the 400, mm. and he had the race one, he put it away. Yep. So he, he hardly used it all the last mm. furlong, mm. but but he went over what he was allowed to do in the four. It was ridiculous. He probably hit the horse less times than the horse that ran second, yet he got suspended for it. Billy, is Mark Zara now the, the superstar of the jockey's room? Is he gained that spot now is he the man oh i always thought he was a superstar obviously you know he's a big race rider um but yeah just when you sit in there and you see the quality of riders like you're just stunned is it a bit overwhelming when i first got here yeah i was like oh gee you know like (laughs) riding against j mac and stuff like that like you just think you'd you'd never beat them but um it, yeah, it's been good. It's been a great learning experience and just riding off these better riders is going to improve me. Mick, you've always been a massive Jamie Carr fan, as I have been and as so many others have been, and there was that theory that she was out of form and out of confidence and that she came back too soon and then incredible uh, class from her to nail it during Cup Week. Um, what was your take on, on her comeback and whether she'd come back too soon, where she was at um, you can read the play with these jockeys better than most. What was what was your take on the, on the car story of the last six months? Yeah, people were, you know, they expect so much of her, I guess. They expect her to ride three winners every week, every Saturday, and she didn't for a little while. But, I mean, as you know, that, does, that happens to anybody if you have not the right horses or the right circumstances. And uh, But oh, you, just, you could still see she was riding them well, in my opinion. And, um, yeah, it's, she's as good as jockeys I've seen, I think. I haven't seen anybody who sits, can sit so well 
And the best part about Jamie is she understands the animals so much, you know. Mm. She really is into the horse, you know. She and she loves them, and um, and she hardly uses whip at all. They respond really well for her, so she's a good role model for the jockeys going forward. I think. I know everyone says, "Oh, stop talking about female versus male," but it, it, it's a separate story. The, the the evolution of of the female jockeys is extraordinary in the last twenty years, including Michelle Payne and Claire Lindop and all the things they did. Is there a good group coming up underneath Jamie Carr? I, I always really I, I rate Alana Kelly, but she's going through a bit of a uh, drifty off the track sort of um, battle at the moment with getting back to the big time. Celine Gaudre is amazing. Carleen Heffel's improvement's been extraordinary as well. Do you, do you think the group underneath Jamie Carr are following in her footsteps? Oh, she's a standout to me, Jamie. Um, there's plenty coming through, you're right. Uh, but you've got to understand that there's probably more girl apprentices and boy apprentices now, just for the size of them. So they're getting their opportunity where they probably didn't. Um, they're not all going to make that high level, but there looks to be some promise behind her, I'd say, but um, I think there's a way to go to reach her heights. Billy's nodding away, um, and I'm calling you Billy because everyone um, says, why, why are you calling him Billy and not Wiramu? Because Billy's the name you had in New Zealand, basically, isn't it? You're a Billy. No, that's right. You Aussies butcher my name, so I'd rather be called Billy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, what are you, you were nodding away when I was talking to Mick about the, the female jockeys, and everyone bashes me around the years because they reckon I'm obsessed with it, but mm. it's an amazing story to me. Have you... Riding against Celine and Carlene and, and these other girls, that, how do you find that? No, nah, it's good. Um, I think Celine Gordre is going to be a superstar, if you ask me. Um, she sits on a horse very well. She's got a great style. She's got a. She, I think she rates horses very well when she's in front, and um, she's very effective. And I'm sure if the more she does and the more experience she gets, she'll reach that class of rider one day. Mick. You had Ethan Brown as well, and Ethan is the partner of Celine, uh, and Ethan's decided to opt out for a while. He, and I really admire him for, for standing up against probably the pressure to, to, to get back into it and perform, and it's a really dangerous profession that I don't think you want to be in the wrong mindset, but he's, he has his little battles uh, from time to time. What's your, where, where do you think Ethan's at at the moment? Yeah, I actually was out there the other day. He, he's going well. Look, he, he's sick of the wasting. He really was sick of the wasting, you know. And, uh, you know, he, he came to, the, uh, to my phone place the other day and he, he just left Celine, who was, you know, sitting in a hot bath, losing a kilo, and he just said, I couldn't even look at it. You know, like it's that, that really hard dieting, sweating all the time. And it's just got to him. Um, I'm sure he'll come back to riding. Uh, he needs a decent break. He's actually thinking of becoming doing his trainer's licence and becoming a dual purpose. Oh, my God. So, uh, but he's right into that sort of thing. I was talking to Jackie Berryman about this, this that yesterday. Uh, it's a big... Uh, what do you think about that dual licence? Is it more of his, for his headspace and his lifestyle? Yeah, but he's he's got his own opinions, you know. He went up and saw Darren Weir and Rad work up the other day uh, up at Darren's Weir's place. He's got a lot of horses in pre-training up the hills and that, and he sort of thought, got his own ideas and what he thinks yeah. uh, will work, and he, and he wants to do it, and um, he wants to stay in the business. Um, but I think in the new year you'll find he'll come back to doing a bit more regular riding, and uh, but just maybe not to try as ride as light. I think that was what hurt what hurts him most. He'd get a good ride and he'd get down to fifty six, and and it just really soured him against all that wasting and sweating. I'm with Mick Kent and we're slash Billy Pin here at Silks at Cranbourne. I've got some SMSs that I've got a photo, a snapshot of. Uh, oh, there's uh, there's some SMSs uh, pertaining to uh, to Mick as well. But I just want to. This is more about the VRC stuff and the Cranbourne stuff. Uh, growth needs to be sustainable and thoughtful growth. Racing administrators measuring success purely on total turnover is akin to politicians assessing, obsessing over GDP. 
at any cost. I think that's an interesting take. Hi, Matt. I'm a VRC member and love Cup Week. It is the best week of racing despite the... Okay, yeah. You've got to sometimes read these first. So I was going to get sued. I was going to get sued for that one. Great foresight by Packen and Cranburn to join forces for the good of the sport and the participants. Pity Metropolitan Friends going. There's another one. Can't see past their own front gates and do the same. Uh, okay, and another having a go at why we've still got three Metro clubs. So there's a lot of passion, and I think it's a bit pro. Pro Cranburn um, retaining its position because uh, where would it go if it, you can't keep pushing back further, closer and closer to Christmas? No, I, I don't know. Again, I think they're not reading the room right. I mean, the carnival is the end of their carnival, isn't it? Four days of Flemington's enough for anybody, uh, you know. And, and it's always been our grand final. It's been our most prestigious meeting, the meeting you want to win at. Uh, to try and drag it on. I mean, I noticed the chairman didn't even have a tie on the other day. It felt like it was a big classic day to me. It doesn't get his day. It used yeah. to be a beautiful end of the carnival, relaxed day. Was it a success? I mean, 7,000, I know it's a... I mean, I'm not saying one way or the other. The trains weren't working and that was a major thing, but I saw some commentaries lauding what a great success it was. I, I'm not sure that it was either a success or a failure. I, I can't get my head around why it was deemed a, a, a monumental success. It was nowhere near as big as they'd hoped it would have been. Yeah. But I just think people have raced out, you know, like... If you want to keep the interest in racing, for me, they're chasing racing fans away. We've had turnovers, obviously, on the slide, so they just keep wanting to add more races. It's because we're not interested in the races. There's really poor quality races over our carnival. Call for racing on a Wednesday between their two major days, you know, benchmark racing, which cannibalise Mooney Valley, cannibalise Flemington, and then Flemington want to have more races, which cannibalise the Crampton Cup and so on. So there's only so many horses. And as long as you keep... The, I'd like to see Flemington cut it right back to really high-quality racing because that's what interests people. Yep. Our racing fans, you want to have 10 race cards. Most of the young kids that went there, they said they are in trouble with young people. There was a heap of young people at Melbourne Cup Carnival. Yeah. They all dressed up on Derby Day in their black and white. Yeah. They haven't got a seat. Yeah. So you want them to stand there for 10... They haven't given them a chair. Yeah. You want them to pay this money to get in, sit on the ground in their finery and... Uh, and have them there for 10 races, and, and poor quality races. Just to, just to their vulgar attempt at grabbing more money, I think it's really cutting our heart out to do that. So, All right, you've always had passionate views along those lines. Billy, what's it like riding at Flemington in Cup Week in front of 80,000? Yeah, it's amazing. Forgive um, me if I asked you if you actually rode at the Provincials that day. I haven't checked, but I'm assuming <laughs> you had a couple of rides over Cup Week. No, nah, it's, it's such an iconic race course. It's... Um, you know, so many people go there, and I think as a rider, when you see a crowd that's big, and it just gets you pumped, and um, yeah, it, it really makes riding fun. And when you hear the roar of the crowd, it just yeah, you put everything into it, and nah, it feels good. Oh, it would, and it's yeah, one of those memories you'll have for a long, long time. Uh, SMS, can you ask Mick why deny knowledge takes off in races, uh, in some races, but not others? Is she just a quirky horse? A little bit, but um, during the spring carnival, uh, they've got to cope with a lot more noise, you know? You know, really do. Uh, especially at Caulfield with that disco they had there. She really seemed to upset her that day. Um, so that's the reason we ran her twice quickly, just to have that edge off her. If you had her really fresh and well, and the amount of noise and people, she, she just got a little bit excited, but... Um, so we hope she's getting better at it. Have you ridden her, Billy? You won on her, yeah. Yeah, I won on her at Mooney Valley, and then I rode her next start, and she, um, yeah, she ran, she ran away from me. <laughs> and then uh, is she a hard ride? She is very hard, but um, Jamie's ridden her both times, and she's been 
nice and relaxed for her, so probably just my bad hands, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, your rough hands, yeah, yeah. Um, there's an interesting little potential ambition for Hermic, deny knowledge. Oh, you're yeah, talking about America, yeah. Yeah, a group of the owners are already booked in to go to Del Mar next year for the Breeders' Cup, whether we had a runner or not, and so we've sort of floated the idea of taking her. There's a couple of mares. Dirt or yeah. grass? Uh, could either do both, do either. It'd be the weakest one. We'd be going for the weakest one. The mares race? Yeah, both mares races. Yeah, yeah, over, yeah. One's over nine furlongs, one's over ten furlongs on the grass. Um, so, look, we'll nominate anyway at that time and see how it looks, but it's something we'd love to do, and as I said, the owners are going to go anyway. It's a bit of a bucket list thing to go to when Del Mar. Is, when are we going again? <laughs> it's, a couple, it's supposed to be the Cup Week next year. Yeah, no, I could easily uh, <laughs> factor that in. Hey, um... You had a horse win the other day on debut that sums you up perfectly by Z. Like late maturing, wait, 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 try and get it into a cups race. Uh, but it was a good win. And I, you, you got a lot of slow Zs who are sort of Jericho type horses, but you get your occasional star Zs. Uh, I can't. Did you ride it, Billy? No, I no. didn't ride it. Um, What's its name? Inzita. Is it a bit of an X-Factor horse, Mick? He's always shown us a lot on the track. He's always trialled really, really poorly, his barrier trials. He's always been doing upside down. And um, we went to the mate race the day, and I said to the owners, look, I think he can run well, but it's well short of his best. So he was a bit of a surprise. But he's worked like he could do that, but he's never trialled like he could do that. So um, anyway, he's gone to the paddock and hope he matures up and gets a bit stronger. But he's sort of out of the same cross. is very elegant, so... All right, you, you don't want to mod yourself. You're, you're going to shut up about it now because you're going to. But I get a sense that there's something brewing here, Billy, with this horse. I don't know. Um, Come on, Billy. Um, if you ask me, I suppose this is why I'm not a trainer. If I, you know, if I was someone bidding at home and seeing the way he trolled, I would not have put a dollar on him. <laughs> but um, I suppose that's why I'm not a trainer. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how's the farm? Got mixed border farm down at. Uh, uh, Glen Forbes, mm, and it's just, it, it took a while, and me and my kids planted trees and pulled out thistles, and for almost no thanks at all from Mick, <laughs> occasional lunch next door, but it was a slow, frustrating process, wasn't it? But it's finally, something's happening. Yeah, so all the horse uh, facilities are finished, just waiting for some accommodation to finish, and uh, we could have horses there now, actually, so, yeah, it's come up really good, it's down in the beach, it's got a seven-feeling uphill track, so... Something we'd like to utilise, yeah, probably after Christmas before we get there, but um, it has been a long haul, um, lots of trials and tribulations, but, uh, yeah, looking close to the end now. It was a narky neighbour too, I remember. Billy, what's it like, that mixed training farm? I've only been out there once. Um, yeah, nothing much was happening when I went out there, but that was... <laughs> <laughs> that was a while ago, but... Uh, he had yeah. all these amazing ideas about putting a... Various residences on it, and uh, there's a big, big guy, gigantic pit that he was going to have yep. his parties in, and all sorts of stuff. He had it really mapped out in a. Oh, he's full of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're at Silks at Cranbourne uh, on the cusp of the Cranbourne Cup barrier draw coming up. The ping pong balls are over there. What could possibly go wrong, Mick? What about um, Cranbourne Cup Day? What are you? What are you, what are you going to present? I won't have a run of this Cranbourne Cup Day. Um, we're really quiet at the moment. We'll be busy the next month, but we've been really quiet. We've got all young horses. But I'll be hoping for a local win. I hope uh, Bedgie or Griffo can stay. Since it's been back to a mile, Cranbourne's, uh, the locals have won it twice. Uh, You're a week. staying race fan. Are you a fan of the mile Cranbourne Cup? No, I'm not, but why Neil did it was to get the backwash of the Cantala. 
so that's all changed. And then we got pushed back a week, and Kilmore Cup's on Sunday, so they're not doing it many favours. But um, it's been very good fields the last two, so uh, I hope they get a good field this week. Billy, have you got much on the weekend? Yeah, I do. Um, I actually called my manager 20 minutes ago to ask what I was writing so I could talk about it, but I've forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, what do you got? I don't know. I've forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> He's a pretty sharp unit, this Billy, he isn't is. he? Uh, Matty, would Mick get rid of Sunday rating from Kenny on the SMS? Over winter, yes. Yeah? Yes. Bar- over, over winter. Give us a day off. It's just, um, you know, we feel like we... There's a circus at a Ballarat in the July, middle of July. You feel like the circus and wear the clowns, you know. Uh, entertainment, everyone's at home having a nice steak and a red wine and a nice open fire next to a pub or something and we're at Ballarat freezing. Yeah, I, and I don't think it generates a lot of turnover that Sunday winter racing, but I'd get rid of that. There's a bit of a, um, like a community near a golf course where Mick and Robbie Griffiths and there's, everyone's there. Like, it's, like a, it's like a cult headquarters and... I was talking to Robbie Griffiths the other day about the time you, ha- you, you rang him and said, I've got some international visitors and I've run out of red wine. And you invited uh, and you made Robbie get out of bed at about 10 o'clock at night to bring down a couple of bottles of Shiraz and so on. It turns out your international visitors were Gavin Kanar from Malaysia and Steve Moran from St Kilda. And Robbie said it's the only, he's only ever not turned up for work twice and both of them were a consequence of visiting your house with a couple of bottles of red wine. Yeah, no, Griffo's a stayer, I tell you, when he gets going. Uh, but, yeah, we're good friends, and he's got a really good wine fridge, trust me, great wine collection, Robbie. Yeah, you yeah. seem to inherit a few yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's right into it, and uh, he's got some really good top-shelf stuff there. Where are you living, Billy? Um, just down the road, yeah, in one of mixed staff houses. Are you part of that sort of cult, the red wine midnight cult as no, well? No, I don't drink wine. I'm, no good. I'm, a, I'm a beer man. I'm a Kiwi. We love our beer. Um, yeah. Hey, Kiwi racing's going pretty good at the moment with Entain dollars in there and, and horses like Poissier at start and the, the, everything's looking positive over there. Is that the vibe you're getting from blokes like Stephen Marsh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, racing has definitely improved over there. They've bummed up the prize money a bit and they're redoing a couple of tracks. Tiara's been redone and Ellerslie, they've put in a Strathair track there and just the, I think the increase of prize money um, is going to be a big help and um, yeah, there's some really nice horses over there at the moment and uh, the sales are on at the moment. I'm sure a lot of the Aussie trainers will go over there and buy. Uh, there's good progeny come out of there and obviously of horses like I'm Thunderstruck and all that, um, you, yeah, you can you can buy a nice quality horse over there, and they seem to run well here. He was a ready to run horse on Thunderstruck. You're a ready to run fan, Mick, aren't you? Yeah, Billy. Billy's uh, boss trained on Thunderstruck. Billy had a fair bit to do mm. with him early doors. Um, sad day. Sad day when yeah. they saw him. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. It was interesting though. I, New Zealand Cup run last week, won by uh, English import there, two mile handicap and one boy, horse boy, kittens joy. Is that right? 75,000 kiddies for it, so I don't know what that means, but you'd think New Zealand prior to this days, they'd go to Europe and buy a horse to win the New Zealand Cup. Is, uh, you'd unusual. be stoked though, Mick, because you, you should be a New Zealander because of your love affair with staying horses and slow maturing and all that sort of stuff. And I know a lot of Australians that would probably like to see you in New Zealand, but... You must be thrilled about the, the Poissier emergence and the, the resurrection of their, their racing and breeding. I, I was talking to Roger James the other day and he said, for 20 years we didn't want to get out of bed. It was that bad. Um, and you've always been really attached to the New Zealand horse, so you'd be, you'd be wrapped that they're, they're 
going well at the moment? Yeah, it's improved. Um, Prassi is an Australian horse, by the way. Uh, but they have got some promising stands. Tano Aladdin looks good. Profondo is obviously going to be something to look forward to. But um, they sold a lot of their good mares. I think they haven't, don't see the female lines like you used to. The, you know, some of the big studs have kept strings of uh, the families, uh, like Waikato, etc. But um, a lot of the good mares aren't there anymore. And um, they're going to have to probably change their way, they think, because they've sold mostly to Singapore and Hong Kong. They sold a lot of horses there. Now Singapore's closed. That'll take a big market away from them. So... They might have to start getting right back into the classic horses and letting us source them than us, rather than us go to Europe. Tell us about Singapore. I still can't believe it. And I think there's lessons for racing jurisdictions all around the world that, that, that no matter how established you seem to be, you, you still can be hanging by a thread in some ways. Like You spent many years in Singapore. I used to come over and visit you from time to time. We actually made a pitch to a very rich businessman over there about an English-speaking form guide that... Uh, didn't come off, but um, what did, would you have ever imagined when you were a successful trainer in Singapore that the rug could ever get pulled on Singapore racing? So when I first went there, the government had just taken it over. It used to be like a privately owned club. You had people who owned it had a share in it, and it was thriving. Like, it was massive. Like, the crowds were 80,000, you know, massive uh, betting. Um, and the government took it over because I think they thought it sort of as a threat politically. It was such a such wealthy club. And they took it over. And then it was a government department always. And it was a government appointee running it. So it was always difficult from then on. But I enjoyed some great years yet there. And, and you, you went through the transition from Booker Team to Cranji, didn't you? Yeah, we did. We went out to Cranji. Uh, that's funny because when they built that, there's a big drain in a roof. A lot of, uh, have a lot of high rainfall there and a big drain under the track and a lot of the Chinese superstitious say, oh, the money's going to flow out of this place, you know, <laughs> like they're building it over a drain. But oh, they were great years for me. And... Um, it's slowed up, there's no doubt. So there used to be a circuit when I first went there, three tracks in Malaysia and Singapore. And Singapore would have a race, phantom race meeting for the three weekends that they didn't race. And, of course, they got all the turnover and didn't pay any tax on that. So they had three, out of four meetings, they had three free. We didn't have to pay any tax off the Malaysia, to Malaysia for the, taking the racing. And the betting was just as big. And I suspect that's what's going to happen. That Malaysia might get a bit of a boost now. Uh, Singapore will still bet on Malaysian races, but I just hope Malaysia actually gets some tax off it so Malaysia can grow its racing because it used to be a good circuit when I was there and it slowly drifted off way too. So, But you know, they're a government department and they can just make those decisions and I know the expats are all crawling foul, but they'll just say, well, you don't belong here. You know, you've made millions go home. You know, they, they haven't got that Well, they can't feel. go to Macau now like you did because Macau's Gonski as well, isn't it? Yeah, you just can't wonder. I can't help wonder why Hong Kong doesn't take it over. Mm. When I went there for that little period, that was the premise I went there for, that Hong Kong would take it over. You'd think they'd like to control all the racing. They're all the same owners. They have lesser horses that could go across there. All the facilities are there. I just can't believe they would stop it and rather not just uh, Hong Kong take it over and run it themselves. Um, Billy, you're running out of local uh, overseas venues to further your career with Singapore gone and Macau, so you're running out of options. Uh, have you got any... If you were to have a wish list of where you, what you may do and what you may achieve, um, even locally or globally, where, what do you want to nail in the next five to ten years? Um, I haven't really got any set goals. I just... Yeah, I just really want to improve and just be the best version of myself that I can, but um, Hong Kong would be a dream to ride over there. Um, but yeah, like, I I think I had things pretty 
go to New Zealand and um, you know I, I didn't have to leave there it was, wasn't like I was struggling I'll come over here to benefit myself and get better so you glad you did yeah I, I'm glad I did I'm I'm going okay it's been hard um, during spring carnival but I wasn't expecting anything but I'm sure once all the big boys go away on holiday um, I'll get my opportunity again and, and get going again that claim there's enough time has passed now where I can ask you how, what you were going through when that whole thing about you you didn't have the right claim and, and all that sort of stuff and it had to fall back on you a little bit well, when you look back on that the controversy of all that what how were you how did you deal with it at the time oh, it wasn't too bad um, the, I, my way of thinking of it I just you know I couldn't do anything about it regardless of what I said you know the weight that they had in the book is the weight that I rode, regardless if it was 60 or 55, I would have ridden at that weight, but there wasn't anything I couldn't do about it, I was just gutting for like, you know, small trainers like John Leake, you know, win a couple of metropolitan races for, for, a, big, Bob Peters, for a big yeah, owner like yeah. Bob, like, mm. that means a lot to, to John, like, it's not just about the money, like, it really means a lot to him to win those big races for a, a big owner like Bob. So that's, it, you know, that's they've taken that away from him, but it actually worked out okay for me in the run. So, yeah, that was the only thing I was yeah. a bit down you, about. You got any new kids in the stable, Mick? Yeah, got a new girl who's just been uh, advised that she's made it to the final cut in the apprentice program coming up this year. Who's she? Uh, a girl called Ruby Lamont. Got the right shape and size. Another girl, but um, you know she's yeah she's going well. It's a better way to go, but uh, she's making all the right noises at the moment. All right, beautiful. Uh, what's your? Oh, is this a moz? What's no? It's, I'll keep it broad. Next six months or twelve months, loosely talking, not a tip or anything like that. But is there a horse? that you go first to in the morning when you go to the stables? Yeah, I think we're going to have a nice autumn. We had a quiet spring, um, got some eternal flames back. She, I really like her a lot. Um, she sort of pulled up a bit sore and her hamstrings at her last start and she's had a spell since. And as I spoke to you about earlier, like a lot of these horses have been racing right through now. They'll have, they will get a week off if they want to be there in, in Melbourne autumn. I suspect a lot of them will just have a longer spell and go to Sydney and Adelaide and Melbourne will miss them. But, so I'm hopeful that she can make the grade. Um, yeah, got, got, some, got some, a couple of nice two-year-olds. Got a nice Maurice filly I like a bit, and just yeah. a couple, couple of two-year-olds there that I don't mind. But um, I'm thinking the autumn will be good for us. Neil Bainbridge has got a share in a mare called Crimson Light. We're hoping to, she might sort of make the next step in uh, in the autumn as well. We're going to sort of set her for the, the Adelaide Carnival. See if we can't get some stakes placing with her. So yeah, he came off a long run this morning. Neil, is he a good owner? Yeah, no, he's he's very passionate. He's very passionate. I think he had three winners at Flemington last week. He was in the owner's room for three times in a row. But, uh, but yeah, he, he didn't do the don't you know who I am uh, routine with the green coat walking in, did he? Yeah, no, no, he gets, no, he gets in where he wants to go. Uh, he's got he's well liked by all the trainers here because he helps them out and he's so enthusiastic. So I, I love having him around. He's uh, he's he's you know he's passionate and really enthusiastic, and he's been great for the area. And he's most welcome in my winner's room, so we enjoy him a lot. Hey, uh, Billy, we'll take it up to 10, uh, so we've got a couple of more minutes. Uh, Imperatriz, I just, I, I, for me, she's a pin-up. I just love her. There's something X-factor. She's just, she's like a prowling cat for me, uh, Imperatriz. What do you make of her as a proud parochial Kiwi? Yeah, she's an absolute superstar. Um, what she's done is amazing to, you know, to win five rate group one races is you know, to win five in a row is very hard to do and um, 
you know, Tiakau are a massive in New Zealand, and I'm sure when they get their stable up and running at Cranbourne, and they'll, they'll go very good here. David Ellis spends a lot of money at the sales buying, you know, top-quality horses, and and they seem to take that step when they go to the races and, and really race well. So, yeah, I'm sure when their stable gets up and going, you'll, you'll um, see a couple more like her. Maybe not as good, but you know what I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're going to be a powerhouse yeah, boutique at Cranbourne. Mick, th- good on you, mate. Thanks for coming in, no, Billy. No Mick, what's your take on Imperatriz? I, I think she's the best I've seen, best sprint I've seen since Black Caviar. Superstar, best mare for sure. Mm. Superstar. Yeah, she's. Um, well, we see her a fair bit. She's to go on. Is she a head turner on the track? Do you just automatically go, go, yeah, that's her. Gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. gorgeous. Um, what you said, like that, more like a cat. She's not over big, but you just she moved well and very attractive, and and she looked better and better and better. Um, you know, she was actually using my walker when they first arrived. The stables weren't ready, and I saw a bit of her and. Uh, you know, she looked better and better and better after the run. So, um, yeah, she's a superstar, isn't she? Excitement machine. You down the farm today? No, oh, we're going to stand down. <laughs> oh, yeah, cool. Sorry, yeah. Um, that's right for the horse that you're not going to yeah. talk about. Final <laughs> word on Northern Barrage, Billy? Hopeful. We'll see how fit the boss has got. He's been, well, he's, been, he's been well drilled. <laughs> hey, good on you guys. Thanks for popping in. If, nah, he, if he wins today, I've got to cook Billy a steak. It's been going on oh. for a while. He's, You've nearly mozzed by even saying that. I know. Right? I've cooked Billy a steak. And I haven't cooked him a steak since he's been here. And I've cooked the best steak. And uh, he's waiting for it diligently. So. You still got the boat? Yeah. yeah we'll have to week. get... Uh, I won't tell the story of the area that we intruded upon last summer in your boat, which yeah. caused a bit of controversy. He's been telling me he's going to cook me a steak for the last six months. I reckon I'm more chance of winning the lotto. Uh, you know what he does? Promises the world and delivers an atlas. Hey, good on you, Billy. Nah, good thanks. on you, Mick. Cheers, thanks mate. for joining us. Uh, it's 10 o'clock time for the news. And then when we come back, yeah, give him a round of applause.